Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are grateful that you have taken time to be with us today. If you would like to know where we're going to be today, we're actually going to run through two chapters, if time allows, of Genesis. You'll see why we're doing two. Uh, 36 is, is just going to kind of be a, an overview then we'll jump into 37. Uh, so uh, Genesis 36 and 37 uh, will be our focus. We're walking through the book of Genesis. We've been at it for nine months now. We're in, we're in month nine. Uh, so uh, we, we intend to get all the way through Genesis, and then we'll decide what we're going to do next. Uh, this is the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, it's coming to you live from the Rick and Bubba Studios. If you're a first-timer, I'm Rick, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com is a hub for men's discipleship strategy, uh, and we have been at it since March 1, 2020, so we're still relatively new. We offer resources for men to grow spiritually. We also offer um, uh, curriculum for your men's group in your community or at your church. If your men's ministry has no strategy, we're here to help. Uh, just go to themanchurch.com. Uh, we have a combination of men gathering together for uh, worship services designed for men and then going into small groups uh, where they walk through curriculum, again, designed for men. Uh, now, if you want to see what is going on, some of you immediately are thinking, hey, is there a church near me that's doing that? Here's kind of an update. Uh, today, uh, if you are watching this or listening to it, uh, and it's live or at least in the same week, uh, I'm talking to you on September the 21st. Uh, so let me run down some of these dates. September 22nd, uh, it is Opelika, Alabama, First Baptist Church. Uh, Andy Blanks will be there. Andy Blanks is part of our team. He, he helps write uh, our curriculum uh, and certainly goes out and teaches. He's an outstanding teacher, uh, and he will be there speaking. Uh, they have been in the curriculum for three, the entire time we've uh, been in ministry. They've been using our curriculum. So they're actually in the third curriculum, and uh, Andy Blanks will be there for their next man church. That's the gathering. Also, the 25th is a very busy Day uh, for the manchurch.com. We've got uh, Scott Dawson speaking in Athens, Alabama. That's Sunday night, the 25th, at Friendship Church. They just started the strategy, kicking off the strategy. Their very first gathering into their very first curriculum is First Baptist Church, Starkville, Mississippi. That's also uh, coming up on Sunday night. On the 28th of September, uh, St. Paul United Methodist Church in Gulf Breeze, Florida, is going to start meeting in their curriculum uh, at 6 p.m. Um, once a week. And if you want to be part of their group, be there for the first one, and that's coming up on September 28th. Just be there at St. Paul United Methodist Church at 6 p.m., and they'll start the curriculum there. Some other things that you uh, may want to make a note of, uh, also, I'll have an opportunity to be speaking a couple of times this weekend. Uh, these don't involve the man church, but from BurgessMinistries.com, Sherry and I will be speaking together at Valleydale Church in Birmingham. There's a grief conference 
that is coming up. You know, so many people are hurting and struggling and, and grieving, and, and they're just looking for hope and answers. So the uh, Strength to Stand Counseling Service uh, has teamed up with us and asked Sherry and I to come be one of their sessions. Uh, and if you know someone that maybe needs some help with their grief, or maybe you do, uh, we'll be discussing at length, you know, what God has already said about this and also giving you some, you know, life application on how we've been through uh, grief in our life. And then there'll be counselors there for breakout sessions to help you as well. That's this Saturday, and seats are available. You can find those details at BurgessMinistries.com under events, Saturday the 24th in Birmingham at Valleydale Church. Then on a Sunday, Sunday morning, I'll be at West Mobile Baptist Church, and I'll be speaking at both services there uh, during the normal worship time uh, at West Mobile Baptist Church. They are doing our men's strategy too, but that's not what this is about. This is a Sunday morning worship, and they have guest preachers and speakers uh, every September, and I'm honored to be their guest coming up on this Sunday morning, and you can certainly join us. That's also at BurgessMinistries.com under upcoming events. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into where we are today. Lord, we love you, uh, we thank you, and we ask that you speak to us today. Lord, we continue to pray for um, individually for, for Jerry as he continues, Lord, to to struggle with his back and his post-surgery situation and help him, Lord, to get back on his feet and us to get answers to the pain that he's still struggling with. And, of course, we continue to, to pray for Bubba, uh, my partner at, uh, with the Rick and Bubba Show, and his ongoing battle, Lord, with his liver and and cancer and, and you know the solutions that the doctors will be coming up with and hopefully maybe have already accomplished. But I pray for you know his ongoing treatment and uh, the answers that he's looking for concerning that. And I pray that you be with his family. I pray that you continue to work through him, and I pray you continue to heal him. Uh, and, Lord, ultimately we pray in all things uh, how you taught us to pray, uh, that your will be done. And in your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible uh, or something with your Bible on it, I do want to deal with Genesis 36. Genesis 36 makes us, I mean, I remember when I turned to it and I started getting ready for the Bible study, I'm like, oh, my goodness, where in the world am I going and how will I build a Bible study around Genesis 36, Esau's descendants? And so I, I, I dove into all the commentary I could find, and I do believe that we can just do why this is here uh, and a couple of takeaways, and we can move on into 37 where we start the Joseph narrative, and that will carry us through the end of Genesis, uh, Joseph will. So I, I want to talk about this because it's very similar, if you remember, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 25. Make a note of that, verses 12 through 18. When we were given by Moses the generations of Ishmael. Um, now, Ishmael didn't take up near as much room as Esau, uh, because he he does not have as much to write about. But why was Moses giving us the generations of Ishmael? It's the same reason he's given us the descendants of Esau, because what he wanted to show us is this is God dealing with us making decisions that are not in his covenant plan. So he wanted us to know that Ishmael has been dealt with, and he's now removed from the narrative because he was not what God said. That that was not who he was going to work through the covenant promise. So then it's happened again. Now we get to these twins, and, uh, and what uh, Moses is doing now is that he is going to remove Esau from the main thread of God's divine purpose. 
uh, Isaac is going to, you know, if you remember, then became the central character uh, when we left 25. And now in 36, it's the same thing. Uh, and even though Esau's descendants, as I said, will be much more detailed. Uh, and, and this is probably because Jacob slash Israel uh, will have much more contact in the future, unfortunately, the, the, even even the country, Israel, they're going to be dealing with the Edomites. I mean, they're, they're going to be problematic for a lot. And Esau, these are his descendants, so Moses is going to spend a little more time on that because of the Edomites. Then the Ishmaelites, uh, you know, they, they were there too from Ishmael, but, but really the Edomites uh, are mentioned as enemies of the Jewish people over 200 times. The, the Ishmaelites, they, they dealt with them a little bit, but nothing uh, like they had to deal with the Edomites. So uh, that's 200 times we see in Scripture. But here's the beauty of God's covenant. The mention of, of, of the Edomites, even though it's 200 times, it pales in comparison to Jacob slash Israel, who you're going to see his descendants mentioned over 2,000 times. Uh, so... And and the reason why this is also being detailed for for us, if you'll if you'll take your Bible and you turn over to to the writer of Hebrews, you know the writer of Hebrews once again is reminding us why God, before they were ever even born, knew that He was going to work His covenant uh, from the younger brother Jacob and not from the older brother Esau. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in in different. Uh, in, in different um, English interpretations, there's words that are used differently in Hebrews 12, 16. But if you want to turn over there, uh, based on the English um, um, translation that you have, um, you, you'll have one of these words when describing Esau. But none of them are good. Uh, okay, so so look at 12 and then look at verse 16, what the writer of Hebrews says about Esau. And it says, see that, first of all, 15, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, as it, and, and by it, make, it may become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Well, that, that's the English Standard Version. Uh, uh, some of the others uh, call Esau profane. Um, um, and, uh, but if you're called profane, Godless or unholy, that's not good. Okay, so so th- that's the reason why uh, you see that uh, that Moses is saying God is now going to take this Esau narrative and he's done with it. Uh, but you need to know about Esau's descendants because of the problems that they present uh, for God's people. And um, so if you look at verses 1 through 8, and we're not going to read all this, it establishes that Esau is an ancestor of the Edomites. Uh, Moses wants us to know that. Esau goes uh, full-time to Seir. That also fulfills prophecy. Why? Because God told us that Esau and Jacob would be separated. They would not continue to journey or sojourn together, and they weren't going to have any more interaction with each other. So what's happening, really, you know how God moves Esau up into these mountains? Because he and his brother got too much stuff. Uh, they, they can't coexist. There's just too much. There's not enough land. There's not enough room. So Esau takes his stuff uh, and to fulfill prophecy, uh, and he moves to Sire, uh, and that's going to be his true home. So he's also leaving the area that was promised to God's people. 
Another something you want to take out of this in verses 9 through 14, uh, you want to also take away this word, uh, Amalek. Uh, Amalek is, is problem. that This is one of Esau's descendants. One of Esau's sons, uh, Eliphaz, uh, had this child with a concubine whose name is Timnah. Uh, so it, it wasn't even one of his wives. It was a concubine. But let me tell you, Amalek becomes a big problem. Uh, they, 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 his descendants are a nomadic tribe that constantly was at, or, uh, at war with, with Israel. Remember the Amalekites? That, that, that's his bunch. That, that comes from this child. Uh, and if you remember, God said in Deuteronomy 25, 19, again through Moses, God said that the, uh, the, the Amalekites and Amalek, he wanted that name removed from, from the landscape of time. That's how much God hated uh, the, the, this this uh, this person and the way they lived and all their descendants. And you see that God does uh, eventually deal with them, and and that the and that the name will be removed from all under heaven is the exact quote from Deuteronomy twenty five nineteen. Hey, you're a really bad person, and you really did a lot of evil. If God said, "I want your name, anybody connected to you, connected to you, to be removed from all that's under heaven." I don't want anybody to hear about you anymore. So that's why it's important that Moses says, look, this is all Esau's bunch here. Uh, the, these are bad people. Then you get to uh, verses 15 through 19, and, and he's going to do the chiefs of all the different clans. Uh, verses 20 through 30 give you the children of Sire. This is mainly to show that Esau officially settled here, and this again is going to to point that he he you know he, they became locals, and he began to produce even more children. His descendants did with the local people, which we all know they were not supposed to do. So we we see that too. And then thirty one through thirty nine, many people talk about why does Moses want us to know that some of Esau's descendants became kings. As a matter of fact, they, Esau's descendants had kings before Jacob's descendants had kings. Now, there's a reason for that because God's people got what taken into slavery, uh, so they had to go through a process of working their way back. Uh, but while they were taken into slavery, Esau's bunch they were becoming kings, and this was also to fulfill what a promise that God in uh, Genesis 17, verse 16. If you want to remember that and go back and look at it. God told Abraham with this whole deal of I have I, I, I'm going to 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 work this deal and I promised Abraham that some even though this is you know Abraham's grandchild that some of Esau's descendants would be kings. Uh, Esau had kings before Israel and I told you why mainly because of the enslavement of Israel's descendants. So uh, and then forty through forty three this this has a lot of fodder and commentary. Why are we hearing about these chiefs again? Um, and and uh, uh, most of the commentaries say this is not repetitive on Moses's part. These are, are chiefs that are that really are just linking the genealogy. Uh, and the and and when you look at, at this bunch in forty through forty three, another important person that comes out of this bunch will go on to be Herod the Great. So Herod the Great comes out of this bunch that's in forty to forty three, and of course you you know his dealings. With the Christ child, so uh, so that that's kind of what thirty six was all about is just letting us know that God is fulfilling His promise, and He has separated Esau completely from Jacob, uh, even to another land, 
and that Esau's descendants produced some really bad people, which is why God never chose him to be the covenant child. Uh, so that's really what that's all about, uh, and that it caused issues um, ongoing that they would be enemies of God's people, which is why they were never chosen to be God's people. So now let's shift to 37. And this is a – let me, let me throw a caution flag out there, okay? Everybody listen, because I know a lot of you men that are in this room, and I'm mainly talking to you, but there's probably a lot of you out there watching too and, and listening uh, to, to this live or even on archive. And you may have been raised in the church, and you may be very familiar with Scripture. And right now there's a tendency to turn me off a little bit because you're like, there ain't nothing I'm going to learn about Joseph I don't already know. Okay? And by the way, first of all, that's spiritually arrogant. And, and, and number two, you're just wrong. Uh, because this, this is a breathing, living word of God. And I promise you from a person who told his wife that he, I, I doubted the discernment about doing Genesis because I thought to myself, I have not, I know everything about Genesis. I've been taught Genesis since I was a little boy, and I even though I drifted from the church, I've been back at the church long enough that I've been refreshed on the Genesis stuff. And we had a conversation yesterday, didn't we? Uh, uh, where a couple of me and another man in here, uh, we had lunch together yesterday. We were invited to the same lunch, and both of us stood there and talked about how much we learned about Genesis that that we thought we already knew. Uh, so uh, we're learning a lot. So don't turn me off on Joseph. Okay, we're, 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 we need, you need to listen to this narrative as if you've never heard it because there's going to be fresh stuff that's going to come from this, okay? So let's, let's start um, now that Joseph will take center stage. Now, this family that we're about to engage ha- has issues. Uh, one home has had one father, four different mothers, and 12 sons. Um, so, so Jacob slash Israel, and you're going to see that and I even asked Sherry, my wife, I was like, well, why is Moses not landing on either Jacob of Israel? Why, or Israel? Why does he keep giving us both his names? He'll call him Jacob for a little while, then he'll call him Israel. For, you know, his name's been changed by God to Israel, but for some reason Moses still it, uh, keeps referring to him as Jacob sometimes and Israel sometimes, but know that we're talking about the same person. And, uh, and in biblical times it was common for people to go by more than, than one name. Um, it, it's one of the bo- most misunderstood things that we have in the New Testament about the Apostle Paul. You've heard it incorrectly taught that God changed his name. He didn't change his name. Uh, Saul was the Hebrew version of his name, and when he was called to the Gentiles, he used the name Paul more because that's the Gentile version of his name to relate to the people we've been called to. So when you're taught incorrectly, God did not change Saul's name. He changed the person, but he didn't change his name. His name has, was always Saul and Paul. Uh, it's just two different versions of the same name. So, uh, so in, in, uh, but in this case, we know that God is changing his name to, to be this nation. So when we say Jacob or Israel in this narrative, we're talking about the same person. Um, so we know that Jacob also came from a divided home. And what he has done, and we as dads, uh, which most everybody in this room either plans on having children or you have had children, uh, some of you have grandchildren, uh, and, and, and this generational sin stuff, unfortunately, is real, and we got to be generation breakers. If, if your daddy and your granddaddy was messed up, don't do what they did. You, you start something new. 
Okay, don't don't follow in their foot. That infection is not automatic. It's just in, in our flesh. You know, without the redemption of the Holy Spirit, without God's seed as just fallen humans, we tend to repeat the same mistakes of our daddies and our granddaddies. Um, but that's not who the who we are in Christ. Okay, so but we see here where Jacob has brought that infection with him into his family, and he's created a household that is a mess. But yet God's still going to use these people. So don't miss that part either. When I talk about the manchurch.com, we have three curriculum. Today, after this Bible study, I will sit down with Andy Blanks, and we'll start hammering out the fourth curriculum. But our second curriculum that we put together is called Real Men of the Bible. And the reason why we, we wanted to be sure that curriculum was part of what we're doing is because I think a lot of times, men, we need to see that God uses some really messed up people. Okay, and that's what that whole curriculum is about. Uh, and because with these men, you see how to do things and you see how not to do things. But the thing that is the running theme to that whole curriculum is don't you ever think that you're at a point where God can't use you. He can. And he's used flawed people as long as uh, we've had a fall in the garden. Uh, Adam was flawed, we found out, didn't we? So, uh, And that infection has kind of got all of us, doesn't it? So, so let's go to, to, to verse 1. Verse 1 is pretty straightforward. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in, in the land of Canaan. Uh, and then um, it, it, this means Jacob is now where he was supposed to be. Verse 2, straightforward. These are the generations of Jacob. Uh, notice what's said in 36. These are the generations of Esau. Well, now here's the generations of Jacob uh, in 37, and we're going to see Joseph as kind of one of the main characters in all this. He's not the only one. You're going to see as we go through the rest of Genesis that we're going to get into things with Judah, Reuben. That we're not. We're not. Some people say, "Well, the rest of Genesis is just about Joseph." That's really not correct. It's Joseph's there, and he's a main character. But we we got a lot more people that we're dealing with as we work this thing out, um, and we see that Joseph now is going to be introduced to us in the rest of two. Joseph being 17 years old. So underline that we know he's young. Of course, now that's 17 of, of, of this time in history. It's older than 17 today. 17-year-olds today are really probably more like an 8-year-old uh, from, 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 this, from this era. I don't know what's happened to young males now, but, boy, they seem to be stunted in their maturation. But anyway, so he was pastoring the flock with his brothers. So we know he's with his brothers. Uh, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. That's the two concubines. That's their boys his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report on the, of them to their father. Let the drama begin, okay? So, so first of all, we realize that, that Joseph's out there. He's young, and he's with his older brothers. These are the brothers of the two concubines uh, that, uh, that had children with, with Jacob. And we know that uh, that would be four sons out there. That he's, he's, he's with them. And and Jacob's um, uh, that Jacob gets a bad report from Joseph uh, concerning his brothers. Now, first of all, we think about uh, and and I don't know how many of you have multiple siblings. I don't know how many only children we have, but if you have siblings, that nobody likes a tattletale. Okay, you can get in a lot of trouble with your siblings if you're going to be a tattletale. Now, so the, the question here is, is this something we're seeing in Joseph that's negative? 
or is he being responsible? I, I remember one time dealing uh, with this in my own family where one brother was upset with another brother who gave me uh, and, Sh- and Sherry a bad report on his sibling. But but when we talked to the sibling that was really mad, and you could tell if, as soon as we left the scene, vengeance was coming. And, and we told the sibling, in this particular case, your brother is looking after you because we have said to all of you, if something's going on, doesn't need to go on, let us know so we can deal with it before it becomes a bigger problem. So this is not him being untrustworthy or whatever. If you would act right, your brother wouldn't have anything to tell us. So, And, and what he's doing is looking after you because he knows you're not going to listen to him, but you'll listen to us. And he actually loves you enough to tell us the truth. It's obvious that something had been going on, and Scripture doesn't tell us what it was, but it must be something that was that was so evil that they were doing that, that Joseph couldn't let it slide. Now, it could be that Jacob had suspected that something was going on out there with the flocks, and he sends Joseph out there and says, now, I want to report when you get back. Could be that. I mean, that, that's not far-fetched. I, I, I would do that as a dad if I thought something was going on. You know how you have different relationships with some of your kids sometimes at different stages of their life? Um, and, and it could be that Jacob thought something was going on. He wanted to be confirmed. Um, but, um, but we do know that when Jacob goes to the brothers and lets them know that, that, that the jig is up, that he knows what's going on, they know where he got the information. So make a note of that. Uh, they know that, uh, that Joseph has told their daddy what they were doing, whatever it was. So now let's look at, uh, at three and four. Because, uh, w- but when his brothers saw that their father loved him, talking about Joseph, more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Okay? So now where are they getting this information? Now look back up at three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any uh, other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. Now let's underline that for a minute. And now come back to that. And he made him a robe of many colors, and then four. But when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now now we got a wedge. What does it mean he loved him more because he was the son of his old age? Uh, if you look into that, what that really means is what we've known all along. I mean, let's just call it. Uh, he's the son of Rachel. He's not the son of Leah. And it took Rachel longer to have this child, and Jacob was older when she finally had it. And the bottom line is Rachel has always been the wife he really loved. He was tricked into to Leah. Leah's produced a, a ton of sons, and, and she's done a good job. She's been nothing but loyal, and she wants his uh, the same favor that he gives to, to Rachel, but he just doesn't love her the way he loves Rachel. And unfortunately, he's let that favoritism now go to the children of Rachel that he loves Joseph more than he loves them, and he shows it by getting this jacket, this, this robe for him. Now, this robe, this is where I told you not to turn me off because you're going to learn stuff about this robe that I'm going to tell you some of you don't, don't have right. Okay? You've heard it's a robe of many colors. You've heard that, right? You know, we've heard the Technicolor Joseph thing and all that. Did you know that that's likely incorrect? 
So, so if if you look at this, here's what the problem is with the road. Okay, um, so so when you talk about this, the, you you notice there's no mention of Benjamin here, and Benjamin is, is alive. But the reason why you don't see Jacob falling all over Benjamin yet is because of the culture. We believe at this time, since Moses lets us know that Joseph is 17, this means Benjamin's only like two. And daddies in those days, if it's if he's still a two-year-old, there's not much interaction between him and dad. He's mainly being raised by the mamas and the maidservants, and, and daddy's time with him is coming. He's not as connected to Benjamin yet as he is Joseph. Uh, but he certainly, you'll see before we're done with Genesis, he loves Benjamin. But at this time, Benjamin's only a little toddler. Okay, so um, so that that's why you you see that um, that he, um, he he is talking about that this is a child and his oldest child from Rachel. Now, favoritism has run in this family. Uh, Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. Rebecca favored uh, Jacob over Esau. Jacob favored Rachel over Leah, and now clearly. Uh, Jacob favors Joseph over over his other brothers because Moses tells us that he does. But he doubles down by giving Joseph a special tunic. Now pay attention to this. This many colors thing, it it isn't exactly correct. Uh, If you look at the real Hebrew word here, we're talking more about variegated than we are colored. Okay? The way it was made was the problem. Uh, because uh, when you when you look, this really means that this this tunic was long, uh, and or it had long sleeves, and this is likely much more accurate than they hated it because it had a bunch of bright colors on it. No, the style of it was the problem, and that's the, what the real Hebrew words are saying. Why is the style a problem? Because his brothers wore tunics that were designed for working. They were short, so they have full range of their legs. And they were short on the sleeves for full range of their arms because they working hard. And the person who was in charge are the ones who were white collar workers that were overseeing everything. They wore a tunic like now Joseph has. Joseph has been given a tunic by his daddy that doesn't say he's going to be out there scrubbing with y'all. He's got the kind of tunic that he, that would be the person who owns the land or has hired you would be wearing. And this really upset everybody because and then now joseph doesn't help because now we got a dream coming everything they're mad about joseph is going to confirm because what they're thinking right now he's your that's your favorite you've even dressed him like he's in charge of us okay and think about i don't know how many of you have little brothers but no older brother wants to be told their little brother's going to tell them what to do okay and and so we, we have this problem, so in your mind, I want you to adjust a little bit on this bright colors thing that this play's been all about and all that. No, it, it's, it's a tunic with its long in the sleeves and down by the ankles, meaning I'm not here to work. I'm in charge. And that's really what the problem is with the tunic. They couldn't care less what color it is. Uh, but, um, but, but this was a tunic that, that it was a sign of authority and it was also a sign because he's the oldest son of, of Rachel that he's now going to be the one that is going to be the true heir. And this has got everybody upset. Now, Reuben knows he's messed up. Reuben messed his deal up as the oldest of all of them when he, of course, uh, raped one of his father's wives, which is a, a, a no-no. 
uh, from from God in the Old Testament, uh, and it's a no-no today. Uh, but Reuben had been removed from this position for this violation with Bilhah, and Simeon and Levi, who were next in line, they had committed the murders and theft over what happened to Dinah, so they're out. So, and then, uh, and then the fact that he's the oldest of Rachel, who is Jacob's true love, all of this is causing quite a bit of hate inside this dysfunctional family. <sighs> now we go to verses 5 through 8, and it doesn't get any better. Joseph, uh, clearly lacking some discernment here, um, you ever been around someone that's a little delusional about the environment we're in right now? But um, So verses 5 through 8, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Why is that? Well, he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Don't miss the tunics on the whole time, okay? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So um, maybe Joseph could have been more diplomatic here. Um, The brothers are mocking him. This is fanning the flames of hate. And um, and he is uh, is mentioning himself when he gets down to uh, to the the next dream. Look at nine. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, "Behold, I have dreamed another dream." Hey Joseph, we got it. I don't know if we need another one. Uh, Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it, look now Jacob's like, "Hey, you're killing us." Listen what Jacob gets in here now. And and he told it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, Why is it why is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father, underline this, but his father kept the saying in his mind. What is that about? So Jacob said, hey, where do you get off to We're all going to be worshiping you, and we're all going to be bowing down to you. The brothers start going crazy. They're losing their mind. But then Moses makes the note under the divine direction of the one and only living God, but but Jacob filed this away in his mind. It's almost like Jacob knew enough to go, I've had dreams that God came to me, and I've had these things happen to me. If this is of God, what is he telling my son? I need to file that away. I need to hang on to that. So he does. So Joseph now is mentioning himself directly. And notice the word. Don't miss this change. All right, first dream, what does it say in verse 8? His brothers, you know, get upset about it. Look at the very end of verse 8. So they hated him. Underline that. But now after this dream we see the brothers have a different attitude. It's now gone from hate to jealousy. They, they, they are jealous of him, which, which, which is a, you know, a different feeling. It's still not good, uh, but it says that um, 
that, that, that the brothers were jealous of him. Up here in 8, dream 1, we hate you. Dream 2, we're jealous of you. So all this is churning, churn, churn, churn. Here, here it goes. Now, notice that Jacob does realize that, uh, that, that he um, is talking about the sun and the moon, which is he says is talking about his mom and his dad. And there's 11 stars. Uh, so really, in this scenario, these 11 stars don't don't miss this because mom, you know, is 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 gonna gonna be the the moon and dad is the sun. Uh, that's what that represents. That uh, that the the nation is gonna bow to him. And then there's 11 stars, uh, which means since his mom, of course, has passed away, that where he's probably including they probably miss it. He's including Benjamin too. Benjamin's gonna bow down to me too. And uh, and of course his dad is is trying to keep this thing under wraps, but um, but he uh, at the same time is 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 probably starting to wonder what is God telling my son. So now let's go to uh, to verses twelve through thirty six, and this is going to be the whole narrative about Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, that's Jacob. Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now to see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. Do y'all do y'all pick up on this? Those of you that are dads here or dads out there, with all this turmoil going on, would you send the boy that the brothers hate out to check on them? That seems like an odd move. I, I, obviously, Joseph. I mean, Jacob. Obviously, Jacob thinks this is just brother spat. He he must not think it's very serious, or he wouldn't do this. But he wants to know what's going on out there. And by the way, you're telling you're sending the one that they already thinks a tattletale, and 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 you know this dream thing has just infuriated him. He's told on them. He said they're going they're going to bow down to him. He's got this tunic that you gave him. Does Jacob not? sense that this might be a recipe for trouble. Uh, but I guess he could never imagine they would be as wicked as they turn out to be, but they've done some pretty bad things. I got to tell you, if one of my sons, you know, has already come in and raped one of my wives and my other two had killed an entire, uh, community, I think three, at least three of them has been established to be pretty dangerous people. Uh, but, but anyway, so he's, uh, he's sending him out. So he sent him uh, from the valley of, of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? He said, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan, as you know, that's just below Troy. No, I'm just, it's a different note. Uh, so anyway, um, so, so first of all, he can't find them, and an unnamed man—we never know who this is—says they've gone on to Dothan. And now, the, the Dothan he's talking about, not the one in our home state of Alabama, uh, is 13 miles north of Shechem. And you find this Dothan mentioned in the Bible a couple times. Second Kings 6:13 mentions it again, uh, if you want to reference it. So this is north of Shechem, about about 13 miles. So, uh, so here's what happens next. 
They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. That's a shot. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. I told you these brothers are on record. They will kill people, okay? Uh, and, and and their own brother is and, – and this may be a cistern they're talking about here uh, when they talk about a pit. We'll get to that in a minute. Then we will say that a fierce animal had devoured him, and 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 we will see what will become of this of, 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 his, of his dreams. They're going to stop it. But, but understand this. The brothers recognize him from a distance, probably the tunic. They probably could see that. That might be why. They conspired to kill him and throw him in a pit – which again may be a cistern, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, wild beast attacks were common, so this is not a bad idea. Uh, you, you in Canaan, this did happen. Judges fourteen five and six. If you want to make a note for those of you that are making notes, First Kings thirteen twenty four, Second Kings two twenty four, all talk about wild beast attacking people in Canaan. Uh, they call him a dreamer. You hear that? You know they're mad about that. Uh, and um, and and they think that if they kill him, obviously they think, which I think is weird. I I guess they're just being, you know, facetious when they say, "I tell you what, we'll take the dreamer and we kill the dreamer. We'll kill the dream." You know, this stuff ain't gonna gonna come true. I tell you what, especially if we kill him. But now, you remember we talked about in scripture in our language, always look for the word "but." B U T. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying. Let us not take his life. Reuben. Interesting. So now the son that had already raped one of his father's wives and tried to take control of the family through sin, now Reuben is standing up for Joseph and is trying to keep his brothers from killing him. 22. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, Throw him in this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, and and he might rescue him out of the hand to restore him to his father. So we know, uh, Moses knows what Reuben's motivation is. He tells us, and, and look at this, Reuben is smart enough to realize, because let's face it, you've got Levi and Simeon here. He looks up and he says, I know I can't take them. There's too many of them. So if I try to fight right now to save Joseph, they're going to beat me. And I may end up as dead as Joseph's going to be. So what I'm going to do is do an alternative plan. Let's not let's not us just kill him. Let's throw him in his pit and let him just lay out here and die, and then he won't be found. But let us not shed blood because then that might bring more punishment on us. And then Moses says his plan was to get him to throw him in the pit. Everybody leave the area. He double back. He'll double back and let him out. So Reuben is changing. You see, he's he's standing up now and trying to be a different man and is trying to do the right thing. Uh, but he is meeting much opposition uh, on this. So um, he takes, finally, a positive role as the oldest brother. Um, and um, and actually later, um, 42-22, when we get to chapter 42, Reuben will actually remind his brothers that he told them not to kill him. I told y'all not to do this. And uh, and so uh, now let's see what happens in 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they immediately did what? Stripped him of the robe. The robe's got to go. Stripped him of the robe. They hate that robe. 
uh, the robe of many colors, which really means long sleeves and long down, that he wore. And they took him and they threw him in a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. That's why we think it may have been a, 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 actually a cistern that they kept water in. And you see these. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll see these everywhere. Um, and uh, and they're, they're fascinating. And they said there's no water in it. There's really no reason to tell us there's no water if it's just a pit. So they're throwing him in one that's empty where that water was usually stored in. And um, so we're also going to find out when we get to uh, chapter 42 as well and the recapping of this. When we get to 42, we're going to find out from Moses that Joseph begged for mercy. He begged them not to do this to him. You don't see that here, but we'll see it later so you can get the whole scene in your mind right now. So he was begging them not to throw him in that pit. Um, Then verse 25. Then they sat down to eat, I would underline that, and looking up saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from from Gilead uh, with their camels uh, bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Okay, so they, they look up. This is how callous these men are. They've already talked about killing their own brother, okay, and then when they finally go to the pit idea that Reuben gets them on, this has been so traumatizing to them, they eat lunch. Okay? I mean, can you imagine if you were, like, ready to murder your brother and now you're going to throw him in a pit to lay there and die and your first thought is, do we still have sandwiches? And, 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 and you sit down and have a meal? This is how callous they are. They don't seem stressed by this at all. They, 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 they got that tunic. And they've thrown him in the pit, and they're glad to be done with him. Let's have a sandwich. So then they look up, and they see an opportunity, what, to profit from this. Uh, Not only are we so callous that we're eating a meal, we see Ishmaelites coming from across the Jordan. Now, in a minute, you're going to see them called Midianites. Don't let that weird you out. All that means is Moses gets real specific about Ishmaelites, kind of a general, who they are. The Midianites tells us specifically who they are, okay? So 26 through 28. So 26 through 28, uh, then Judah, you know, Judah's going to be big when we get to the end of the story, underline Judah. Then Judah said to his brother, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Then uh, Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. All right, so the trans- Judah says, look, let's profit from getting rid of Joseph because he knows that, that the law would condemn them from, uh, from killing Joseph. But you know what's so sad about this? You find out that selling your own people into slavery, when we get to Exodus twenty one sixteen and Deuteronomy twenty four seven, it's still condemned. Even when he tries to say, "Look, let's don't kill our own flesh and blood," and that's over the line. Let's sell our brother into slavery, uh, and and you find out that that he really hasn't bettered his situation much because God forbids that as well. The brothers agree; they sold him. Here's the thing about this: don't miss this. Remember how much their father thought of Joseph. The price that, that we come up with here is no big deal. That's about what any male slave cost. 
they they didn't even consider him to be any more value than any anybody they'd be selling into slavery. That was kind of the going rate. Okay, you also see that slavery been around a long time. It's not something the United States of America came up with. Uh, so uh, let's go to uh, uh, verses twenty nine and thirty. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Now, what does that mean? He repents. He, he, he realized they blasphemed God, and he, and he tears his clothing. So you do see Reuben is repentant of the way he's behaved, but he's not quite man enough to stop it. He's trying to find a plan to stop it, but he, 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 he is um, distraught that Joseph is gone, and he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. And I, where shall I go? Now, we do not know. I I read four different commentaries on this. Nobody knows where Reuben was, why he left, what he went to do, where he went. Nobody knows. But it's obvious by what we're seeing here. He wasn't there for the sale of Joseph. Maybe he didn't want to eat a sandwich. I don't know what happened. Uh, Maybe he forgot to bring his food and he went to get food. Nobody knows where Reuben went, but for a moment he's gone. And we don't know where. Uh, and, uh, and so when he comes back, he comes to them and says, what's happened, uh, to, to the boy, the boy is gone. Now, Reuben says, now, where can I go? Why, why would he say that? Well, I'll tell you what he's saying. He knows this is bad, bad, bad. And he doesn't want to face Jacob without Joseph. He, he's assuming the role of the leader in the family in Jacob's absence, and he says, what we've done here, we can't return to our father without his favorite son. So he's recognizing this is this is hurting our father. How do we go face dad without our brother? Where are we supposed to go now? We've done this. Now what life do we have? So you see the brothers respond. And, uh, and, they, and, and then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe uh, or not. Now, there's so much going on here in 31 and 32. So they respond with an idea, and they go back to the narrative about the wild animals. The plot to deceive Jacob mirrors his plot to deceive Isaac. Because what, what did Jacob, the, when he was young, and his mama, uh, Rebecca, what, what was the plan they pulled? They went in to deceive Isaac. They used the robe of, uh, uh, and, and, and used goat's fur, uh, and, and, and so here's a goat's blood to stain the garment to deceive Jacob, just like he and his mama had used a goat to deceive Isaac. And see how this stuff comes around? Uh, and here's another thing we notice. Don't miss this part. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father. They sent it. That means what? They didn't go do it themselves. They, they either had a helper or a slave with them, and, and they sent it. And listen to the way they phrase the question. Is this your son's tunic? They don't say, is this our brother's tunic? So is this your boy's tunic? You see, you see the anger in that? You see the disrespect in that? They don't even call him their brother. Is this your son's tunic? You know, I don't know if you've ever had that happen before. Those of us that are married, 
if your son does something that your wife doesn't like, suddenly he becomes yours. Uh, this, uh, this showed their resentment for the way that uh, Jacob had handled his sons, which, by the way, Jacob was wrong to create this kind of favoritism. Don't, I'm not saying he's not, but this is, um, this is an ugly response to that. But did the daddy create this environment? He certainly played a role in it. And he identified it, 33 now, and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So Jacob immediately recognizes the the tunic, uh, and it says that his pain of the what he perceives to be the death of Joseph, that his pain and his mourning was so severe that he could not be consoled. Have you ever been there? You ever had that kind of pain and mourning? It goes back to this thing Sherry and I are trying to do this Saturday is to help people because if you have this kind of grief where you can't be consoled, it will eat you and it can destroy you. So he did the outward mourning ritual of torn clothes and sackcloth. He refused to be comforted from his sons or his daughters. Now notice daughters here is plural. This is just a, but he only has one daughter. But they think that this is likely meaning his daughter-in-laws joined him as well or tried to comfort him. His mourning, we're told, lasted many days. And he intended to mourn until he died. So, so here's that thing. Do you remember when all these things go on and everybody tries some way through sin and hate, jealousy, and strife to get something, it never, ever comes to you. Because they pull this plan and their father's reaction actually does the opposite. The brothers, in their minds, have eliminated Joseph, but they would still be denied the affection and the doting that their father had given to Joseph. He didn't automatically say, well, now I'm going to treat you all the way I treated Joseph. Oh, come here. Now let's repair this relationship. It only made it worse because he wanted nothing to do with them. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even let them near him, and he said, I'm going to stay in this state until I die so I then can go see my son. And then you see Joseph, what happens to him. Moses in 36 sets us up um, for, for chapter 39, and he mentions right here, meanwhile, meaning while all this is going on, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And so we see here that Moses says, boy, have I got 
something I'm going to tell you all about the life of Joseph in captivity. And the takeaways here are so many. You see this as a uh, throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament, because the whole Bible is about Jesus. You see these types of Jesus, and Joseph is a type of Jesus pointing pointing toward Christ. Um, but one of the applications that we can take away today, and you see that what everybody, all these brothers did is wrong, but I think those of us who are parents are desired to be parents is we got to be real careful that we don't pick favorites. We got to be real careful uh, that we don't parent this way to where we obviously pick favorites and make any of our children feel like that, you know, it, it's not that, um, like my children know, there, there may be times um, that I don't approve of you, or there may be times that I'm upset with you and choices you've made or things you've done, but it needs to be established that they are always loved. And um, I think the way this behavior from jo- Jacob worked is that they didn't just feel that you know they all have a unique relationship with him. They didn't feel like they were loved by him uh, the way that he loved Joseph. But you're going to see something happen later in this that uh, has always moved me. Now, we got a lot to get through before we get to that point, and I won't get ahead of myself. But you're going to see these brothers working through you know, God God is willing to do whatever he needs to do to give us our best shot. And um, and difficulty is – I know we wish that was not so effective. <laughs> you know, I, I really believe God would, would say to us, and he has said to us through Scripture, it's not my desire that I have to allow so much difficulty. I do it because it works. You know, it, 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 it seems to be effective in getting you closer to me. It seems to be effective to get you to change the way you're going. And I do it because I love you. And I know we all have heard the writer of Hebrews say to us that he disciplines those that he loves. And I think a lot of us in here would say, well, God must really love me. But, and he does. But even though I kind of, this is what I've said to my children it's what my mother said to me, and it was one thing that I, I, I thought this is the way, and it's what God, I think, and is saying to us on a much higher level. I love all of you, but the question isn't whether I love you or not. The question is do I approve of you? As my mother said to me in my time of rebellion, she said, I will always love you, but right now I don't approve of you. I love all of you equal, but I don't approve of all of you equally. And um, But we got to make sure the foundation is there that our children, just as God, because people always say this, you know, it is true that God loves all of us, but does he not require repentance for us to be approved? Does he say, I love you so much, just stretch your way any way you want to, and you can still come into my presence? He doesn't say that. He says, I love you. But now through repentance and redemption, I'll approve of you. 
And I think that's one of the misnomers we get a lot of times is that, that God just loves us right where we are. No, he has the potential. He may love us, but that's not the question. The question is, does he approve of you? And that's the way we, we, we follow his lead on parenting too. If you have children that are not behaving as well as the other children, certainly don't let that go and ignore those that are living correctly. But be sure they all know that they're loved equally. Not always approved equally, but loved equally. Because you create this kind of strife among your children, and it gets real ugly real fast. So right now, where do we stand with our Heavenly Father? We know that he loves us. He showed us that on the cross. The question is, who are we in this scenario? Are, are we the brothers? Um, you know, are we Joseph? Are we Jacob? I don't know. I don't know who we are. I don't, I don't know everybody's situation, uh, but it's worth asking. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. May you be glorified, not embarrassed by the way that we live our lives. And may we not take your obvious love for us and misinterpret that as your approval as well, without repentance. In your name we pray. Amen.